Here we go. Um, Charlie here, LITC. This is episode seven podcast. Episode seven, right? Is that right? All right, cool. And here we have Daniel Villa. Nice What's happening, bro? Thanks, How are you doing? Really. No, it's a pleasure to have you here, man. So I don't know if you've seen much about our podcast and what we do, but the way we like to start is by looking at a piece of art and just literally, what do you think of it? It's a mix between like, um, I'd say darkness and danger with, I'd say, all eyes on me. Darkness, danger, all eyes on me. All right, so what's, what's the eyes? Where'd you get the eyes? So we've got the two red eyes. Yeah. And then all the dots. Yeah, that's, yeah, so and even here as well. Like the two yes. up there, one there. So what, what's the danger? What makes you think danger? Like for the, the colour red. Yeah. Represents, it's either grounding or yeah. danger. So, and the black is the darkness. Yeah, it's a mix between a lot of stuff, really. Yeah. Sweet. You know what? We like to start like that because, like, for our podcast, art's subjective. So we yeah. want people to just straight away, like, this isn't the same as the, like, the usual podcast. Like, that's how we're looking at it. We do a lot of work in the community. And with the work that we do, it's about opening up your mind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we feel like by starting like this, it opens up your mind to just go somewhere else with this interview. So, yeah. Definitely. So, sweet for that. So, what I'd like to know, like, how we start is just, like, your story, how you yeah. got to where you're, what you're doing now, and, like, why we've got you in. So, from the very beginning, how you grew up, siblings, yeah. family, parents, all of that. Yeah, so yeah. I grew up in South East London, Peckham, born yeah. and raised all my life. Um, grew up with both parents in the household, but living in a broken home, mm. basically, but both family members, mum and dad, living under yeah. the same roof, but not together. Th- that happening is because my brother died at 12 and my dad had to be the anchor of the family and kind of stick us and okay. keep us together. So, yeah, it was... Um, I love Peckham. Like, it's my roots yeah, and it's home. Yeah, so. Yeah. I'm 36, so at that time it was, there's a lot of hardship, all areas, mm. but Peckham, Brixton, they're known for mm. um, coming from a disadvantaged background. There's a lot of struggles. Like, like anybody that's coming from, whether it's single parent family or a broken home in, in the sense of the family structures, not mm. 100%. Yeah, what, do you have siblings? Yeah, I had so there was yeah. my brother who yeah. passed and my elder sister and a younger sister. Okay, so you all grew up in Peckham? Yeah, all grew up yeah. in Peckham. Okay. Yeah, what, yeah. what part of Peckham were you? Like, you know where the old um, Safeway, well, it's Morrison's. Yeah, 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 Do you remember yeah, the yeah. old Peckham Leisure yeah, Centre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the small one. And um, what was it like growing up there at the time? Yeah, it was all right. I loved it. Like, mm-hmm. I, know, I know everyone from there, so it was all, always comfortable being in the area. So my main thing was always football. Yeah. So, always putting my energy and time into football from, from young. Yeah, so what, yeah. just that mates knocking for you, playing out on the road? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, meeting up, playing other other estates. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, being young, primary school and stuff like that, like, Cossel versus Brayards yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, Cossel versus Acorn, Clifton yeah. Estate. So it was always good, yeah. like, growing up, like, football-wise and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So that's where, that's your, was that your main thing from a young age? Yeah, yeah, main thing was just football. That Really, that's... um. All I was into, educational wise, I wasn't really academically great, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't slow or nothing like that. But yeah. I just, it just where the lifestyle and my home living, it wasn't that studies wasn't the, yeah. um, 
the main focus. Okay, so when you say your home living, so what was all right? So, you, so I don't know. So you're saying you're playing football. That was your main thing. Yeah. So you wasn't overly into school. So you was going to school what, and playing football. Yeah, yeah. Just um, basically, well, I was six when my brother passed away. Um, he died from um, sniffing fire extinguisher gas. Oh man! And he fell and choked and fell into our back garden and. His my brother's passing um, took a big effect on yeah. on my family, but mainly my mum. So she ended up drinking a lot, and yeah, things were just difficult. So from that time, so from the age of six, like you, like you can remember things just changing around your household. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Obviously, they say you don't remember much after the age of um, before five, anyway. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't. My my thing that all I can really remember from being a young person is is the struggle. And we all go through the struggles, innit? Yeah, but of course. I can only speak for myself. And yeah, yeah it was um, from the time that I understood that my brother passed and I, I realised that it's, it took a big effect on my family, myself, my sisters, mm. my, my um, dad, everybody. But okay. mainly, mainly my mum. Okay. Yeah. So what would so right, so going on so you get to secondary school? What was that like? What were you up to? What were you doing? So secondary school, um, same thing, playing football. So even even down to like primary school, I was always my focus was just sports. I wasn't really interested in mm. learning, but I didn't have yeah, to because of yeah. what was going on at home. I wasn't focused to go into school. You know, like some kids are getting put to bed. They're having a dinner, they're going to bed at a certain time. My my um, thing was always consciously um, unsteady. Like it was, um, I was never going really to sleep in peace. So I was just waking up and my only thing was just getting back home kind of thing, just to make sure my mum was okay or, yeah, just to um, play football and be out there and stuff like that. Mm. But yeah, primary school, I played for the school team, then... Um, that's when you start getting into like South London district and then went to secondary school. I went to um, St. Thomas Apostle. So for people that don't know, obviously we all play, we, well, we played ball, but I'm um, saying so for people that don't know, when you say South London, so what is that? You get chosen. So you're at secondary school and then South London. No, you're in, you're in primary school, yeah. year six, and then the South London district. So there's, there's the south, there's your district, and yeah. there's the inner London, which is all the districts. Yeah. So the best players from their district get picked to go to the um, inner London. So um, started off at South London. Yeah. And was playing for them. Yeah. And at that point, um, I was playing for um, Affendi, yeah. which is in Peckham. Yeah. Um, was getting scouted by a lot of different pro clubs. So I ended up, um, when I, whilst I was playing for South London, was doing training at Crystal Palace. Then I went to Millwall from 11. Yeah, so you yeah. Millwall, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and what was that? How was it? What was that like? For people that don't really know about football and being at that age, what would that consist of? Yeah, it was good. It was like tra- training um, once or twice a week, um, main- mainly once a week, like from when you're young. And um, yeah, for me, that was like um, an escape. It was like, building a family in in the football team. So I had good relationships with all the players and stuff like that, loads of players from Peckham, players that went on to do well and stuff like that. So 
Okay, so wait, so how long was you at Millwall for? I was at Millwall from 11 to 15. Okay, yeah. and then uh, what happened after that? Yeah, so being in, being in secondary school, obviously I was playing football, doing really well. I was getting scouted by a number of pro clubs. Um, I went to St. Thomas Apostle. Um, so I'd done the first year and then a couple of weeks into, my, into year eight, I got excluded. So they kicked me out of school. Like permanently, yeah, what, for, for fighting, fighting. Yeah, 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 for fighting, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, when you get the prefects yeah. in school, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like the, the yeah, last the year, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're like the fifth year in yeah, school. Yeah. So I'm year eight at the time, and there was this one prefect who kept bothering me. Like when you when you're young, you have to go and collect the other big boys' trays. That's they don't have to go and put their trays away. Mm. So it's the first year, second years that have to come and then yeah. as you're leaving, they send you back. But he kept doing it and doing it, doing it. And then one time I just had enough and then just, yeah, it was what it was. And then I ended up getting a charge at 13. So what, go on. So what actually happened? Because like, that, that sounds like what they just expelled you for that one fight. What? So what was it, a vicious fight? What was it, just a normal fight? What actually happened? Yeah, it was just, it was just a normal fight. Yeah. But he ended up um, having his jaw broken. Okay, and what? And he's a fifth year. He was he was sixteen, and I was twelve. Yeah, so or thir- nearly thir- thirteen, thirteen. So you're obviously quite handy for him to get his jaw broken. Do you know what? Like I said, from from the um, struggle and and always being on on alert, mm. and that's that's what happens when you when you grow up in a in an unstable home. You're you're volatile. Um, yeah, you're angry. You don't have no understanding and. You just can let loose at any any point. It was the same thing in primary school, like teachers. Like I used to throw, I just throw the tables up in the air, like. Mm. But they didn't understand because they didn't know what, what was going on. Like obviously, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Did you understand at the time, or it's only now she got older you can look back on it? I knew. Do you know what? I've always been. I've always been aware from from very young, like because. Late stages of primary school, early stages of secondary school, I knew, I knew that there was an issue within within myself, like yeah. that everything that I'm experiencing at home, I'm taking it out when I go outside. Outside, yeah, okay. Yeah. So what was so you said he was at Millwall till fifteen, and then what happened with football after that? Yeah, so when I was I was at Millwall, I um, was doing really well. I was doing really well with Millwall. Um, playing for South London at the same time. Then, like I said, the best players from the district get chosen to play for um, inner London. So South London, Hackney, all the different areas. And the best players get chosen for them. So I was one of those people, along with some good players from South London, like Cherno, Samba, Anton Ferdinand, Ben Watson, Goma, Kieran Richardson. So... We had a good team and everything was going good for me. I've got, um, yeah, I think I was about, either 13 or 14, I got scouted the same day as um, Kieran Richardson for Man United. So we both got scouted at the same time and I got um, chosen to go for England trials as well. But due to injury, I couldn't Mm. see those through. So kind of was knocking my confidence and started to, even from a young age, like having to deal with depression and stuff like that. It's not just at the home life, 
and having to go through what I'm going through. But now mm. with the football, missing the opportunities mm. through injury and stuff like that. So then 15, things was a bit shaky with Millwall because as well as training, I was out on the roads, just hanging around all different areas, just being a teenager. And I had my daughter when my daughter was born when I was 15. So I ended up leaving. So you had a a child at a young age? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was 15 when my eldest was born, yeah. And what was that like in terms of, where was your mindset at that time? Like, was it like, what was that like? Like when she told you I'm pregnant, I'm having a kid, you're 15. What was you thinking? What were you thinking at the time? Do you know what? I was was just happy to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, it was like a blessing to me because I've always been in the mindset like, Sometimes you don't understand until you get a bit older and you're aware of the situation, you're aware of your parents' history, struggles, what they're having to deal with. But I was always in um, a mindset of, do you know what? When I have a kid, I'm never going to let them experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Not that yeah. I never went through no sexual abuse, no physical abuse, nothing like that. It was more emotional yeah. torment, just seeing the family deteriorate. And yeah. obviously my mum was going through a difficult time. So you wanted to create your own your own family, like you were saying, like maybe being on the roads or football, it was that sense of, you know what, I want to create some sort of normality. Yeah, normality. The family structure. Yeah. Okay. And especially with the football, yeah. I'm like, do you know what, this has given me more urgency to want to make it. And it's, my daughter was always like, in the back of my mind and in my heart that, you know what, we're going to make it out of this struggle. Because mm. I knew what poverty was from young. Because, mm. you know, when you're going to primary school and mm. you go, go on the trips, day trips and stuff, yeah, yeah, or the yeah, week yeah. trips, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was n- never one of those kids that went on one of those trips, even to get the school pictures. Mm. Never got a school picture yeah. because of the, um, finance. the finance that we was going through. So yeah. I was always in that mindset, you know what, I want to make it to be able to not have my children live that life and okay. so yeah so you're having a, a child at, a, at the age of 15 so you said um you've gone from Millwall so then what happened next like with football and whatnot so things weren't going I, I signed do you know what um I signed the contract with Millwall where we had to go to the den have our picture taken with the manager the scouts and stuff like that it was not it wasn't a schoolboy form it was another contract but I'm not 100% sure of the name of the contract, but because I was out, I was on the roads, I was missing training and just being like with my friends and then I had obviously my daughter, so I was missing training and stuff and Mill was kind of like, look, you need to sort this out because we're not going to just keep supporting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they supported me through the court case with my, when I was in school. Yeah. So, it's, wait, so to get that clear, so this prefect, you actually got charged for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know they could do that when things happen at school. No, it was out of school. It was out of school. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. All right, so explain this properly then. You're not telling me the story. Yeah. So when you say, was that for the same prefect? Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically you see so him I see him on the road and then... You see him on the road and he's moved to him. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah basically right, cool. like that. So you could call a charge for that, all right, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so you were saying, so um, Millwall was saying we can't, um, we can't just keep on supporting this sort of behaviour or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then um, I went to Gillingham. Mm-hmm. So I went on trial at Gillingham and they offered me a fr- three-year scholarship, which is a two-year apprenticeship and a one-year pro. Mm-hmm. So I was still elevating in my career of being wanting to become a footballer, but because of 
the lack of support. Um, yeah. um, my dad used to come to all the games, but he, he had me when he was 48. So by the time I'm a teenager, he's already living to his late 50s, 60s. So he's not... And he's it's active, like... And he's yeah. Mediterranean. He's Maltese. He's mm. illiterate, like can't read and write and stuff like that. But he had always supported me. But you know, like you need that extra support of somebody that understands the concept of becoming a footballer. Yeah. He just understood I'm here to protect you and look after you, innit? So even at Gillingham, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I had the talent. Like from young, everybody said he's gonna make it, guaranteed. So even when things were going wrong at Millwall, I just moved on and then I signed a three year scholarship for mm-hmm. was doing really well. In my first year I was playing for the reserve team. Trey getting put with the first team sometimes and then just keep keep progressing. But I wasn't following the code of becoming a footballer. So So your lifestyle wasn't that of what a professional athlete should be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if we I'm playing for Gillingham, everybody from London, they're like there was players from Brixton, players from the area, they're living up in the digs. So they're up mm. early, going training, after training, they're going home, they're getting the proper food. With with me, I'm coming straight back to Peckham. I'm coming yeah. to see to see my daughter, and then. And was got, that? Did you have the option? Sorry to cut you. Did you have the option to live up in the digs? Yeah, yeah. But you said no. You don't. Yeah, want to Yeah, yeah. I said I don't want to live in. I was too. Um, I love Peckham, innit? That, that's it's yeah, mad. Yeah, when, even it's now, even yeah, though it's regenerated, yeah. I still yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I it's crazy. The, I love the. Um, the urban lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So moving up to country, well, that's what I call it, country yeah, chilling. Yeah. It's, um, it was kind of odd for me. And yeah, yeah. Being told you got to go to sleep at this time and just having to live by somebody else's. The, basically living by rules and regulations that I suppose when you're talking about your family life and it being chaotic. Yeah. There really probably wasn't rules and regulations. Yeah, exactly. So it's not something you're used to. Yeah, so yeah. Now it's like, Hang on a minute. This is not our work. I go to bed when I want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're actually in um, You've signed a three-year contract. So what's it like? So you so you're saying you're going back and forth between Peckham football, Peckham yeah. football. So I'm just back and forth traveling every day, five five days or well, six days a week, and playing a game on a Saturday. So yeah, I've I've got um my daughter. We broke. I broke up with her mum when I was sixteen. So by the time I'm at Gillingham now, we're with our relationships ended. So mm. I've ended up getting with another girl. Only a teenager, isn't it? But mm. at these times you just want to spend time with that yeah, girl yeah, and yeah. coming out friends. You, did you always would you say you're someone that always needed to be around people? Growing up I always wanted to have like that family friend. Mm. Not have I'm not the kind of person I'm strong minded. I, I don't get part of a friendship or a group to be part of it. If I'm part of it, I'm part of it, innit? But mm. I, it's like I said with the um, football team, it was like a family thing. When when I look back now, everything was just to escape because it was arguing, shouting. It was just, yeah, it was, it was just long being there like, as a yeah. teenager. Yeah. But not, nevertheless, um, I'm grateful for my all my experiences and I love my mum, I love my dad and they both did the best they, they could do. Yeah. Especially for what they was going through mm-hmm. themselves, losing a son. So, yeah. So yeah. So 
you're at Gillingham, you're back and forth from um, between Gillingham and Peckham. Yeah. So obviously you had a new girlfriend and whatnot, you've got a child. So bring me up to the point where I know you got released from Gillingham. So yeah. what? how did that so happen? So I'm, I'm doing really well at Gillingham and my the person that scouted me, um, Bernie Dillon, he always said to me, Daniel, you just need to focus more. Like, they love you here. Like, look, you're playing in the reserve team at 16. Like, all you yeah, need that's quite unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I never ever, when I, when I look back now, I never ever put 100% into my dream. And, and it's sad to see it. But when you're mm. young, it's, um, you're kind of in... Circumstance as well. Circumstances. Yeah. So as a um, scholar, you have to... Um, clean the pros' boots, you get assigned the players' boots, yeah? So while everybody's there, after training, you have to go collect all the first team. It's just not, it's normal stuff, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but yeah, me, yeah. I'm like, pick, pick their own, clean their own boots. I'm not cleaning. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. when I look back now, yeah. it's, it's ignorant yeah, 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 and yeah. it's the wrong attitude to have. That's why when I speak to young people, I always pass on my experience to them, say, look, this ain't the attitude or the way to go. So... The player, um, I never forget his name. His name's David um, Perpetuini. And he used to be, come and say to me, like, Daniel, my boots, they're dirty again. And I'd be like, take your boots home and clean them. <laughs> yeah, so they're looking ones. at me like, yeah, yeah. And even like... Couple, and you're young, like, they're playing in the first team, whatever. You should be looking up to them. Yeah, they're like, the no, it's not that. I'm not cleaning your boots. And exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was that kind of mind frame where... Um, and what you see, like, with that mind frame, I want to, like, home in on that. Obviously, there was, like you said, it was chaotic at home and whatnot. But was it like, I don't deal with authority well? What was it that made yeah, it was all. It was, it was always, um, I've always been anti-authority, to be honest with you. I don't like being told what to do. That's like, it's it's same anywhere, like yeah. friends, yeah. family members. Like, I like to have um, that mutual love in it or the mutual mm. respect or mm. treat me how you want to be treated. Don't start playing and dictating. I, I wasn't yeah. one of those people that took took to it. But I understood mm. when you're playing a role to become a professional, they're setting you examples of how to be professional and how to conduct yeah. yourself. Discipline. And the levels. You're mm. a scholar. They're the pros. You have to step up, look out for them because you'll be in that position one day where... Um, other youngsters will be doing the same you're doing now. Mm. Did you ever feel, not to put words in your mouth, but did you ever feel, because of all the things that you're going through, that it was you, like you against, not to say me against the world, but I don't know, when I'm listening to what you're saying, mm. it's like, I don't like authority. I'm going for all this stuff. You don't understand what I'm going through. So it's just like, yeah. get off of me. Yeah. But tell me what to do. Like, it's me against you sort of thing. Like, do you know what? It kind of, because no one knew what I was going through. And when mm. I look back, I was suffering with depression from a young age mm. in the sense of um, psychological warfare and in, in the sense of battling my emotions, my feelings. Um, I, I, I speak a lot on, on mental health about a lot of people are suffering in silence. And mm. when you suffer in silence, you're just deteriorating. I didn't have to, no one to talk to about my problems or... It was only a couple of friends, and we're still friends to this day. Um, to this day, Gavin Days he used to play for Dulwich Hamlet, and his mum used to like look out for me, and we become very good family friends. So, mm. but having no one to talk to about your issues or problems or what you're going through, 
you're just going to take it out. Yeah, they manifest in other ways, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So without even knowing it, I'm taking this these thoughts and feelings into a professional environment where they're it's not accepted, isn't it? It's not tolerated. But Jill and them, they stuck by me. And like I said, I was playing for the first, um, playing for the reserves, training with the first team. So they'll call a couple of players over, like, do you want to come? Or the first team manager would say, oh, bring him over. So I was always one of those people that would get called over from time to time, um, especially when they could see me putting in the hard work. Mm. But um, I got a bad injury, like knee injury. Then I had a um, trap nerve in my back. And after two years, it's optional if they give you a third year to make to become a um, pro. So everyone that was up for their third year, ne- the ones that never got it, they got released. So the ones in my age group, when we done our two years and it come to the optional third year, everybody apart from a couple, Matty Jarvis was one of them, and one other player, I can't remember his name, and they got pro contracts. But um, with me, they kept me on. So because of the injuries, they knew that I was talented, but they used to tell me, it's not just about the talent. Like, mm. You need to put in that professional work ethic and you need to prove to us. So they gave me chance after chance. Then I stopped turning up to training when I was meant to be training with the first team. Do you know what? I think it was... Um, I was losing. I was losing faith in my ability as a footballer. So you started st- suffering with like self, like confidence. Yeah, confidence. Um, putting on weight where I was wasn't um, fit because of my injuries. Um, not training hard enough, and yeah, I just ended up stopped. Even though they've given me another chance, when they've released everyone, so they've got rid of everyone apart from two boys that offered pro. Yeah, and Matt Jarvis didn't he end up going to that. Yeah, Premiership and all yeah, that. Wolves, yeah, Wolves, Norwich, yeah. England. He played for. So, so they've given it to these two boys. They've got rid of everyone else, but they said, "Look, we're going to keep you on, like just to give you that chance because they know what you've got." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the manager was um, Andy Hessenthaler at the time, and um, the youth development coach was Darren Hare. And then one day they just called me because I wasn't coming training regular or. You're meant to be training every day, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. This. So I'm just turning up and making excuses. And yeah, they just called me in the office one day and they said, look, um, we're going to have to let you go because it, it doesn't seem like um, it's working. Mm. Like you're not trying. Was it something you knew was going to happen or what was that feeling? You know like? what? I knew it, I knew it was going to happen, yeah? but I remember nothing really hit home. Like I kind of knew it was going to happen. So I'm like, oh, all right, cool. I'll just find another club, innit? It's not a problem. I'm still young. I'm only 19 at the time. Ooh. And it was on the way back um, home to Peckham. I was on the train and then I just had a flashback of every moment, all the wrongs that I did through my um, three years there, all the things I should have been doing. And I was like, it took them to say, look, it's yeah. all yeah. for you to now realise like you effed up basically, innit? Mm. Okay. So obviously, so now you're in Peckham. So what's the what's it looking like now? What happens now? Where do you go from there? So from being released, I realised that I was um, suffering with depression because, like, even if you hear about stories, the young guy that got released that didn't get a scholarship, he took his own life. You have to know if you've heard about that story. No, no. Recently, yeah. yeah. So when I heard about that, I was like, do you know what? I wasn't ever in the 
mind state of suicidal. But I remember like it affected me big time. I've been playing football from 10, 11 years old for professional outfits. And now I just have to start all again. So I, was, I went for a rough time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still in the mindset, you know what? I've got the talent in it. I can, I can make it still. I just need to get picked up or go for trials and stuff like that. But then come going out, partying, raving, there's nothing now, isn't it? You ain't got to um, really have to be it anywhere or turn up anywhere. So, yeah. And then I ended up catching a case in 2005. So I got released in 2004 mm. and I caught a case not too long later. Yeah, and what was that? What that was for um, GBH, Section 18. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got, um, I've got three years for that. Yeah. I've got five years, and then they, the judge, because my barrister said to them, look, he's a professional footballer, he needs to get his life back on track, and then they reduced it to three years. Yeah. But just touching back on the, um, football quickly, mm. like just for um, a message for the young people yeah. that's out there that might be having that same mindset or come from a disadvantaged background and they want to make it but they're going through difficult times like if you are going through a difficult time speak to somebody and if you're aware of your talent understand that it's not just talent that can make it you need to be professional you need to be dedicated to your Mm. craft and Mm. committed show respect to your players the professionals and put in that extra shift like Mm. whereas me not to stay on the football too much but I was, I'd done everything wrong, like yeah. down to the cleaning the boots, down to having to... Attitude, basically. At, attitude. But because of circumstance as well, though, like at the end of the day, like some people can get through some of these things and some of us struggle with it. So although like, I know it's hindsight and you're looking back at what you went through, but obviously you've had to go through that journey to get to what you're doing now. Yeah. And obviously we'll talk about that a little bit later when yeah, you're yeah. doing some brilliant stuff now, but all of that, it's what's made you have the mindset you have now. So it's when you look back, it's not to be so hard on yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's not like you were just doing these things, just acting up. For no reason. There was a reason behind it. reason behind why you was there. And like you say, I think the most poignant thing you're saying is talk to someone. Yeah. But do you feel there was enough support maybe I'm not doing my internally like some of the people you had around you. Do you think there was enough organisations or people that you could actually talk to yeah. at that time? No, there weren't. There weren't. It's um, even at football. Even at when I was playing for Gillingham, they was in the Championship at the time, so mm. that's one league down from the Premiership. There wasn't like they had um, any counsellors for mm. the youth players, or there was. And obviously, that's a lot of years ago now. They've obviously things are put mm. in place for young people now. But yeah, there wasn't any support. Yeah. There, there, there wasn't. Apart from like um, um, your last podcast with Gavin Rose, like Gavin Rose, he, I got a lot of respect for him because mm. I used to go, even when I was playing for Mill or Gillingham, I'd still turn up to Leighton Square yeah, and yeah. do some training with him. And he always yeah. used to give me um, words of encouragement and empowering words because he's running a football team and he could see the talent and he know he knows because yeah. he's been there yeah. that it's not talent that gets you through in it right, cool so yeah so you went um so court case you said you got three years gbh yeah so what was that like obviously first time was that your first time going to prison yeah yeah first time going to prison. Yeah. so before the just before the prison 
um, whilst I was still trying to get active with football, I was playing for Beckenham Town. So I was okay. their captain. Yeah. And then I'm half Maltese. So my dad was speaking to an f- uncle and a friend out in Malta. And I got offered a contract to go to live in Malta to play for, um, it's a team called Bikakara, but they was in the premiership in the Maltese oh, yeah, League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They offered me a flat and everything. But once again, because of the mindset, I've got my daughter here, I chose not to go and go abroad and play. And a lot of people don't know that, actually. And that was kind mm. of, obviously, enough, I don't look back or, or regret anything, yeah. but sometimes, you know, you think, well, if I yeah, made yeah, that like, move, yeah, this would have happened. This decision, that decision. You know what, though? I hear that, though. Everyone says, like, oh, like you should never have regrets, especially, I'll be honest with you, you watch the TV, you see these celebrities, you see all this YouTube stuff, people should never have regrets. But for me, I think that's bollocks. Like, I can't lie to you, like, you can't let those regrets eat you up and keep on reliving them. But there are some things you think, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Man. No, I'm like, definitely. I shouldn't have banged that geezer that time. I shouldn't yeah. have done this. I shouldn't have yeah. done that. You d- I can't ask. Everyone's different. But for me, I do have regrets. But the difference is I don't let those regrets eat, eat me up well. and I don't keep on reliving them. We know, like, for me, like, we know, like, I, I believe in God a lot. So for me... I know it's written. I know what it is. It's going to be that. I understand yeah, exactly. that. But then still, I am a human. So I do feel like sometimes I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, I know yeah. that's my destiny. Do you yeah, get it? So, yeah. yeah. So sorry um, you were saying about yeah. you in prison. So and then I've got, um, I've got three years. I don't care. if It's the moment you're in that sweat box and you're going to prison. It's like, it's the unknown, isn't it? So there is that kind of... Um, Worry in the sense, not not so much fear, because at the time of my mindset, how I'm thinking, I'm not really fearing really anything like that. that. Yeah. yeah, but still worried, isn't it? Like, what's mm. it gonna be? Yeah. So yeah, it was just something I just had to adapt to. So I done. I went to High Down, um, then um, Norwich. I went to Norwich Prison, and then went to Open Jail in Ipswich called mm. Holmesy Bay. So what, I ended what, up doing. What was that like for you, like? You know what, something I want to touch on, yeah? Like, going back a little bit. We grew up in Peckham, right? And we know, like, from where we're from, obviously there's loads of different colours, ethnicities in Peckham. Yeah. Where we're from, like, on the roads that we've been on, it's predominantly black, right? Mm. What is it like for you, like, being, like, a white boy in yeah. that sort of environment? Yeah, no, it was good, man. I, yeah, yeah. I, all, all my friends, like, 90... 90% of my friends are black. So. Yeah. I'm more at home with black black people, yeah, should I yeah. say? And like, um, obviously, um, even when I started to make friends because I was going to different areas like Bermondsey yeah. and stuff like yeah. that, I never really fitted in too well because I was yeah. from Peckham. Yeah, I wasn't on the racist yeah, nonsense, yeah, yeah, so it was yeah. kind of like. And I'm Mediterranean. You know what? The reason I asked that question, like you say, it's all gentrified now, but I think like a lot of times people feel like, ah. Oh, like, you know, if you're from Brixton or you're from Peckham, it's predominantly black. And if you're a white boy, you have to, like, talk a certain way. But they don't get, like, it's not really like that. Like, yeah. We're all from the manor. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's just normal. Like, exactly. you know, it's not like, because you're white, you have to talk more like this or more like that. No, so, you, yeah. anything in life, you just be yourself, innit? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I've lived in Peckham all my life. Went to John Don, which mm. is not far from Peckham Police Station, like, back mm. across the state. And um, went to secondary school in Peckham, Queen's Road. 
But do you feel like anyone used to try it more with you because you're white? Do you feel like you had to prove a bit more? No, like, no, I didn't. No? I didn't. I didn't yeah. go through. I didn't go through none of that. And then yeah. at, at the time, it weren't that. Yeah. To be honest with you, like yeah. it was. I was hanging around with older people. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, and and especially at that time growing up, because when I think about it now, I was walking around the roads at like eight, nine. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've got an eight-year-old son. Yeah. I would yeah. never have him Mentally, out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I was yeah. already out there yeah. mingling. Right outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not getting up yeah. to no crime. Yeah. Like, enough, but shoot, I'm, I'm out. Got business being out, innit? Exactly. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm walking around the states and just. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So because I've always been myself. I've never tried yeah. to be somebody I'm not or yeah. portray myself to be somebody I'm not. Yeah. So I think I think you get more respect like that from young to. People just remember yeah. you as that. Okay. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, so, so you said you was in prison. And what was that? Because obviously you had a child as well. Yeah. Um, what was that like, like you being in prison? What was that it, whole... It was difficult um, in the beginning being away from, from my daughter. And my main thing was, you know what? I've got 18 months, 16 months if I get tagged. So... So I just said to myself, do you know what? I'm going to get back at, do as much education in here as possible, do enough studying um, and keep fit in there. So I was playing football and I snapped my leg um, whilst I was in in, um, prison in Norwich. I went to do a turn and I landed on my knee and I severed all the arteries, Mm. ligaments, tendons, and I was 21 and they said, they took me to outside hospital and they put me in a cast for three, can't even remember how many months, but it was a lot of months. And um, yeah, they said I'll, I'll never play football again. So I had to retire mm-hmm. from, from football at 21. So after going in there, being like, do you know what, having that big wake yeah. up call, I was like, do you know what, I'm still young in it. I can yeah, still, still come out, and, come do out it, yeah. and do it. That was, that was the plan. But so I ended up doing, doing 16 months and two months on tag. Mm. After that, whilst whilst I was in there, I'd done a, um, an ETS course, which is called in, Enhanced Thinking Skills. Mm. Um, I also done alcohol awareness, drug awareness courses, mm. and things like that. So it, I was educating myself whilst I was in there. What about religion? Did you get into any religion? Yeah, so religion, I started, um, I always, because I had um, friends that were Muslim, so I, I've always been aware. So I started studying Islam yeah. in in prison on the first sentence, and when I come out, I was still I was still learning. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it was um, later on that I embraced Islam in yeah. my life. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So yeah. So you're out now. You've you've done like sixteen months. You're out. Was you? Did you say you was on tag when you? Came I was on. Out? I was on tag. Yeah. Was you still in contact with your parents? What was yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Always, always been yeah. in contact with my yeah. parents. Always yeah. because my dad um had got his own place by the time um went to secondary school. So, mm-hmm. but he was always there back and forth with to Peckham. But I always lived in Peckham with my mum. Mm. Then I was um I was went went into doing some work. Just normal work, like construction work, yeah. removals. Just to get money. And yeah, just it, to yeah. get some money. And then found myself in a situation six months later, which was really out of my hands. And 
as as I believe with everything that's happened in my life and in my past, everything is written before us, isn't it? This life is already written. So anything that happens, this moment here now, this is all planned before yeah. us. So and I'm I'm grateful for everything that I've been through because it's yeah. made me who I am today. Mm. But unfortunately we have to go through things yeah. that we wouldn't yeah. ever want to go through or wouldn't want anybody else to have to experience. Of course. Just a quick one. Do you have like somebody like that? Do you have a favorite quote? My favorite quote. Um, I just I believe like treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. I think that's that's one of my, my yeah. favorite quotes. And if you if you do that, everybody would be able to get on a lot mm. a lot more easier. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you were saying six and, months. And another one that's that I've recently yeah. been using with the work I'm doing is I like to leave a dent in the pavement and an impact in people's lives that are cross paths with. I like to leave a dent in the pavement and an impact in life with in people people's lives that are cross paths Because of the work explain I'm doing. That, explain that a little bit. Yeah. Unpack that. that yeah, quote. so because of the um, work that I'm doing now, um, helping homeless, vulnerable people, so when I'm walking the streets, anybody that I cross paths with, I make sure that I leave a dent in the pavement wherever yeah. I land. Nice. and an impact in their lives so that's kind of a back on your feet slogan at the yeah moment. nice 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 so yeah you were saying um so six months later yeah so six months later um it's something that um it's very personal to me and something that i don't really know how to talk about or express because of the um, pain that is caused on both parts of my life and the other people's lives that's had to go through it. But um, I found myself in a situation where um, somebody lost their life um, due to self-defense. Um, and, and it was um, from myself from throwing one punch and the person fell, banged their head and passed away. So I ended up finding myself um, in a situation where I was put back in prison. But just to speak on that a little bit, um, it's something that's um, played a big, big effect in my life in the sense of um, the the pain that having to understand what another family's gone through, especially losing a family member of my own and understanding the effect it had on my family. I, it, it's made me reflect and the remorse and even though it was one punch and it was yeah. never intended, it was never meant to happen. I'm just, I don't have words to express how sorry I am. And mm. if I could turn the clock back and change the whole scenario, I would. I'm just truly sorry that this had to happen. Mm. Yeah. So I can see it, bro. Like I don't really know how to yeah. um, bro, I can see it. Like, I can see it in you, bro, man. That I even, to be fair, I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, so... So I don't know, like, I don't know how much you want to talk about that. And I don't even know that. if I've expressed it um, right enough because it's not something that I ever I think speak just about. like you said earlier, like, you can only be yourself and only be real to who you are. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So for me, that's up to whoever, but I think you can only be honest with yourself and yeah, how yeah, you yeah. are. And then hopefully people believe your truth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I am. I am. It's something that I live with every day. It's not a day that I go by that I don't I don't embrace this pain 
and um, it's it's even difficult to accept that I've been part of something where somebody's lost their life and a family member's lost lost um, somebody that they love and care about, and mm. it's it's something that's really um, I know it's not about me and it's about the effect it's had on them, but the effect that it's um, had on me because of the pain and, and the sorrow that I've felt for what's happened is um, extreme, which is, um, I just wish I could turn everything back and make everything right, but obviously I can't. And I think you touched on something like knowing the pain that your family went through, I think it's like none of us want to be in that position, but I feel like for you, it hits home even more because you know how death affected your family. So I think it's something that yeah, really yeah. hits home with you even more so. What's, I don't know what you can talk about, but so what was you charged with and how did this whole thing... Um, this is this is the thing, like, um, as I explained, it was um, one punch. So there is no intentions to for this to happen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And the police turn it into a big thing on the front page of the newspapers they um charged me with murder and um i went to trial and they dropped it to manslaughter and then i got acquitted at the old bailey so i was mm. on remand for a year and then i was found not guilty but and what was that like because obviously when you was in before obviously it's gbh grievously and grievous body harm and you got the sentence for that but now knowing what had happened was that sentence completely different? Like, because obviously, also you're fighting for your life. If you've been charged with murder, do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So, what was that like in terms of and having the burden of what had actually happened? What was it like then being in prison? Do you know what? To be honest with you, it was to even just have to, as a human being, have to accept that this has happened, didn't it? And someone's lost their life is is difficult enough, but at the same time. All you can do is is pray and and have hope and faith in the truth of being revealed and and everything that the police was saying that was incorrect would come to light, which happened. And even on my trial, they changed all the transcripts. They um, was pointing the finger at me when the proof was there. So thank God that the judge was smart enough and wise enough and asked them to re script the um, transcripts so yeah it was it was a difficult time it was definitely a difficult time I was, especially just coming out for the section 18 um i'd done everything i could do to turn my life around in the sense of what we spoke about the trauma the anger the issues the emotional effect that i've had on my life so i've done the enhanced thinking skills course i passed that i've done the alcohol awareness the drug awareness victim awareness i've done all of these things to better me as a person and then as I've bettered myself and I'm in a different mindset in my life, I've now found myself in this position. So it was, it was, it was traumatic. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a joke. Yeah. Like, and how do you think that? Cause like you're saying, I don't know, but you could give up at that point. You could literally say like, I'm doing all these things. I've been through this I, in my family life. This is not my fault. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you could get yeah. to that point where you just like, what more can I do? I'm trying. I try and turn my life around. I've had that epiphany. Yeah. And then this happens. All right, yeah, I didn't expect for this to happen. This happens. What 
what was your mindset you know like? what? My, my mindset is um always been from from young because i've had so many different um experiences and events in my life and lost many family members and stuff like that everything is written in it i always had that belief that whatever you go through in life is already written for you to go down this path or whatever just don't dive, bring other paths into your you know like you can create your own issues into your life that was already written so i was like you know what i've not really wanted this to happen is a path that i've gone down because it's already written i just have to believe and just keep strong keep a strong mindset i've always been a religious person but i've always had a, a different understanding like I always question things so then so i said to myself do you know what i need to use this time wisely to embrace something that means a lot to me and started learning and studying and praying praying every day and just not giving up. So Islam, so you got stronger into the faith. Yeah, yeah, I got stronger I got stronger into the faith. I was calling the Adan in jail mm-hmm. out the window, bringing all the drugs to prayer. Yeah. Serious. Like I was yeah. take, I took it really serious. And then even when I got out, I was on it still. And I kept up with it and slowly getting back into life, not forgetting, but not practicing. Not changing my belief yeah, yeah. system, but not following, but yeah, yeah. not following through. Yeah, yeah. Because I had a different understanding of um, the path that I was on mm-hmm. and the journey. So, okay, yeah. And you said um, you said about so you got found not guilty. Yeah. Um, what was the process of like what to the point where you've got found not guilty, and what was that feeling like for you? It wasn't when because remember I'm at the old Bailey. So it's not a joke. Yeah, yeah, not a joke. And plus, I've just come out of jail for a section G- 80. G- I'm G- still on probation. Yeah, so... Um, just like they're painting a picture. You're a minister society yeah, now. Like, yeah, this so guy, this is what he's on. When like, he was yeah. 13, now they yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at this point, when I've found myself in this unfortunate situation that I wouldn't wish on anybody, when I got a not guilty, it wasn't the fact of... Um, Oh yes, I've, I've bust case. I'm, you know, it was none of that. I went when I had to go down back down to the cell, um, or released actually. So, um, it it wasn't no, there was no joy, there was no happiness. There wasn't obviously. I'm happy that I'm free, and it was um, it was surreal kind of thing. Like because really and truly, I should be happy. Because I'm no longer in jail, but mm. I'm still living with that yeah. that burden in my heart and in my mind that you know what somebody still lost their family member and somebody's passed. Still living with it today. Yeah, every every mm. day. Like mm. it, you see, this is what I'm saying. If if you mean if you mean to kill somebody, yeah, you set your you yeah. set your mind on that. You go on that mission and you know the consequences and you know the outcome of it. But when you don't mean to do something or something happens that's out of your control, then if you're, unless you're cold hearted, you have to have compassion for that. You, you have to, you know what I mean? I pray for their, I pray for their forgiveness. I pray for their strength. You know what I mean? For them to overcome this and whether it counts or not, 
it's something I always keep in my prayers and in my mind and heart. So yeah, it, it, and it and it's caused it's caused an effect in my life as well. Yeah, of course, definitely. So where'd you go now? Like, where's the where's your mind at now? So now I'm um, psychologically, I'm trying to block it out, but every day it's affecting me, my mindset. So I just said the only thing that I can do to stay occupied is to my career's over now. Football, football's no longer a mission. How, sorry, and how old are you at this time? I'm 23. 23. So two, this was, I got um, released in 2007. Yeah, okay, yeah. so 23, yeah. Yeah, so then started to work with a, um, a friend um, who had a business on construction. Same thing with authority. Um, it wasn't for me, so I ended up working there for a few months. Then I decided that the gift and the talent that I had to not let it go to waste, so I wanted to implement it in young people's lives, especially working with disadvantaged people from disadvantaged backgrounds and areas. So I connected with a company called Eternal Life Support Centre, mm. and I was working with them in um, Peckham, and working with um, the youth in there that's related to gang, gangs and kids that are coming from broken homes similar to my lifestyle growing up. So I started to um, get into coaching. How so, did you find that? Yeah, it was really good. I went on, I went on to do a CSLA course, Level 2, mm-hmm. and which is a multi-sports course, like all different sports. Um, I qualified in that, and then the tutor... Who, which was running, it was um, a sports coach. I think she might have been the manager of the sports department and she offered me to come back and be a tutor on the course. So then I was then working for a company called London Youth and I was running the CSLA courses now. So okay, cool. doing like nine-day courses. So then getting paid and stuff like that. Because everything that you, you've been through and you're going through, how was you finding that? How like... How do you get up and go in every day and then teach these kids or whatnot? Like, how are you finding it? What's going on mentally for you at that time? Do you know what? Mentally, I'm constantly in the thought process as I've always been from young. Like, mm. always been very spiritually aware of myself and always believed that it's bigger than here. This This earth here is just a moment in time. So instead of living in the same cycle of self-destruction and self-sabotage, I said to myself, do you know what? Whatever path I'm on, it's for a reason. Mm. It's already written before me. So I just need to follow the good and just keep doing good and creating goodness and spreading my message, my life, and helping change another young person that's going through a difficult time. So that was my um, mindset. I was like, if my career is over, then... I shouldn't allow my talent to just be, uh, he was one of those ones that just... So you wanted to give back? To give back, yeah. From the conversation we're having, I see that faith seems to be quite a strong part with you. And what would you identify as that? What religion? Because of what I believe in, I will become as a Muslim. So I referred it as well. Yeah, yeah. And took my shahada. Yeah. Yeah. 
not here saying devoted and yeah. praying five times a day. Yeah. But I have my connection, I have my faith, my belief, yeah. and I know what I stand for. So yeah. it's always been a key moment in my life where yeah. faith is important to me. Yeah. So I always I always believe like um it's a bigger purpose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like and this is a trial. Yeah. Trials, tests and tribulations. Yeah. And as I said, as you know, everything is written. So mm-hmm. if I'm on this journey of where I've come from to where I am, mm-hmm. I just need to keep following. Yeah. And and everything everything in life, it happens for a reason. There's no coincidences. There's it was what's meant to be will be. And as long as you do good and you put good out there, you will receive good. You will receive the blessings of and the rewards of being a good person in this world. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, yeah, so you're at this London Youth, you're yeah. doing that, you're starting to facilitate and whatnot. Yeah. So, and you're saying that, but you're constantly in your mind, you're thinking that. So where does it go from now? So I'm there um, coaching for about um, a year. But while I'm coaching, I'm still working with Eternal Life Support Centre. And I won Sports Coach of the Year for London Youth. So mm. across all the boroughs of the um, coaches that was with London Youth, yeah. they chose me for the award and I got a big trophy and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And then I won an award. This is so I'll come out of jail in 2007. Yeah. And then I won this award in 2008. And then Eternal Life Support Centre, they put me up for an award for inspiring, no, unseen, unsung hero, inspiring young person of the year. So in 2008, I won those two big awards. And they yeah. were big awards. They weren't just no little, yeah. I come yeah, to a presentation, yeah, yeah, grab yeah, a trophy. Yeah. It was kind of, you've got picked out for yeah. being noticed and identified as somebody that's put in the work and the, the transition and changed their life around. And so, how, how, did that, how did that make you feel? Like winning that award, what was that like? What was the feeling? Growing up, I was always winning trophies for man of the match and players player of the year, managers player of the year. So it was kind of like I was reliving that passion again, but in a different different angle. Yeah, yeah. So So, was it something? So it made you. It's something that made you feel good because obviously there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of things that have pushed you down and made you feel bad. So that was one of the things that. Okay, so and because you always mention that you say about like Peckham and whatnot. So when you're doing that, are you still in Peckham? You just, yeah, what, yeah. I'm always, going, yeah. I'm always in Peckham. Like, yeah. that's even though um, I moved, I got a flat. I moved out of Peckham, but yeah, local. But what about like in terms of like some of the? So at this point, when you're doing that, are you staying out of trouble? Or? Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. see, this is this is the thing, and obviously, I was guilty through in two thousand and five when yeah. I got the three years. I'd done all the educational purposes to change my life and better myself as a person and be aware of who I am and the consequences that my actions have. So I've got, even today, I'm always living by those rules like um, the ETS, which is the enhanced thinking skills, the victim awareness, the drugs, the alcohol awareness. These are still, even though it's a long, long time when 2021, and I've done this in 2005, I still implement yeah. these in my day-to-day life. So on getting released in 2007 from the Old Bailey, I've always implemented in my, them in my life. Like the person that people 
know from growing up in Peckham, which is two things. He's a baller and he just fights, isn't it? In the yeah. sense of nothing to glorify because we understand what happened later on in life. But that's the two things that was associated with me. So since 2007 and now 2021, I've never been in another fight. I've mm. never had a fight in mm. all them years yeah. because I understand one wrong move, yeah. Yeah. what can happen. Okay. Uh, if that makes Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. sense. Yeah. yeah, 100%. So, yeah, so you're working at London Youth. How's it, what's the journey like from there on? And sorry, just not to cut you off, sorry, just yeah. to quickly go on what I said when I say about a baller and a fighter, not the sense of I'm out there fighting, bullying or being But you're not guy. having it, basically. I'm fighting to survive, innit? Mm. Like, I'm, I'm su- surviving and battling my own emotions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. You know what, this makes me want to ask a question, right? So, we're at London Youth, you're starting to facilitate, you're doing those things. So, as a facilitator, you will know these sort of questions, the question I'm going to ask you now. So, looking at everything that's going on in your life, pandemic, what we're going through now, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be and why? I'd say a cheetah. A cheetah, yeah? A cheetah, yeah, because I refer to my character now, yeah? Yeah. So, a cheetah is somebody that has to be calculated, calm, they're in the bushes and then bang. They've gone, they've got that, um, it's the first short sprint, they're the fastest, isn't it? So yeah. they have to be calculated to get where they need to go. Where could easily say, oh, a lion, like, would be the first, you know, like, yeah. because kind of pride and yeah, yeah. and where I've come from, survival in, in the concrete jungle. But um, where um, a lion, he roars, mm. a cheetah, he purrs. So, that's the transition of my character. So that's what I would say. Right, sweet. Yeah, so go on. Yeah, so London Youth. Um, so you carry on with that. Yeah, so they was, um, had funding to pay me to do the courses with them. And then I won the award and then I won the award with Unseen Unsung Heroes. And then I was still doing the sports. I was still, that was, um, and mentoring as well, like young young people at the time as well. I was still young, so I was mentoring young younger people if they had any mm. issues or something that I'm, I've brought into my later life now is something I want to be as a mentor for young people that's mm. had this difficult life and I can divert them from making the mistakes that I could have made. So that was the road I was going down. Then I become a manager, no, not a manager, sorry, um, head coach of Greenhouse, um, Bethwin Football Club on Old Kent Road. I don't know if you know him, Leon Wright. No. Um, he's a football manager. Um, he was the manager of the team and I was the head coach. So, yeah, I was coaching them for about a year. And how do you feel? Like It seems like you started getting quite a bit of responsibility where maybe in life, from the story and what you're telling us, you've been irresponsible at certain parts. Yeah. So now it seems like within a short period of time, because this is within a year of being released, yeah, yeah. getting this responsibility, being a head coach, being like facilitating for young people. How did that feel having that sense of responsibility over other people? It, it was something that um, I embraced because where I'm coming from is if I see a vulnerable person, a young person, and I can kind of identify their, their traits, like to, you have to go to college, university, 
to mm. read a piece of paper, to understand the ethics of this lifestyle. But where it comes naturally and I can just witness it and see it and try to make an impact, it made me feel good. I, I didn't feel... I felt responsible for those that I was working with because I didn't want to see them get astray and go down the wrong path. Mm. So when I was even when I was coaching, that was in 2010 because um, something happened prior to after after I got my award and stuff. Something happened with my mental health and stuff in 2009. Would you care to go into that? Yeah, yeah. So um, 2009, um, with all the pressure of what I was going through, and subconsciously, I was still battling my demons and my trauma from a kid to my adolescences to all the stuff that I've had to go through, which we've spoken about. And it just caught up on me. But um, yeah, kind of had a spiritual experience with my sister. And yeah, I ended up um, having a mental breakdown in the sense of people like to call it a mental breakdown or, or they're suffering with psychosis or whatever it may be that leads them to having a breakdown and um, I was ended up sectioned for I think it was three three weeks I think they sectioned me. I think so when you say you had a you say you had um, with your sister, what does that look like? Um, like you don't have to go into like like great detail, but what do you mean like? Because speak to me like someone that doesn't know. I don't understand. Yeah. But I'm saying speak to me like someone that doesn't know that's listening now. Yeah. What do you mean like what you started flipping out? What happened? Well, basically everything was. My sister was going through a difficult time. She still hasn't overcome the death of my brother, and she was having a breakdown. I was kind of obviously going through my traumas, and then what she was going through kind of passed on to myself and we ended up just kind of not being ourselves, and ended up getting, it was in Peckham, it was on like no sleep, just, I was going through a stage where I was just doing random things, like giving out money to just random strangers and just not, just not out of character in it. So it wasn't mm. me, basically. So, um, so you were just doing things that, and did you have any control of it when you were doing these things or? No, nah, anybody that suffers with a, um, or gets sectioned, they don't have no understanding of it. And the easiest option is to just put section you, put you on medication, and then your belief to, you've got that stigma of um, I'm unwell, I'm mentally unstable, yeah. I'm mad, crazy, whatever um, label they want to put you on. So yeah. my thing was, I've never been on medication. Apart from when I've been, I've had to enter the hospital, because that's I, when you're section, you haven't got a you haven't that's got a chest. Stick. You yeah, yeah. A chest, you don't take the meds, they inject you. So okay, so talk to me. So you're doing these random things. Yeah. Like you're up and down, you're impecking, you're giving out money. People are like, that's not that Daniel. What's yeah, he doing? Yeah, yeah. So then what happens? Does someone report you? What actually happened for them to come and say, nah, you're that's it? Yeah, so um not to go too deep into it because a lot of people have different beliefs and different understandings, but Sometimes when things happen, it could be a spiritual possession where you're not no longer in control of your mindset or who you are. So I'll just break it down to that. I was no longer yeah. in control of my own thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Everything wasn't reality no more. So 
and especially at the time my sister was more extreme and we was feeding off of each other. And yeah, so at that point we're in Peckham and I just started to um, just noticing everyone was looking at me in that. But obviously I'm moving strange anyway, so people are going to be looking in it. And um, yeah, I just started spazzing out and the police got called and it was outside, you know, Peckham Post Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was there. And then me and my sister's on some spiritual stuff where we're telling them, look, this is happening, that's happening. And obviously to the naked eye or the... Just look like you're bugging out. Like, like. Yeah. And so you see all of that, like there's always stigmas, like in terms of, oh, remember you're who you are. Yeah. You've got a reputation and whatnot. So it's like, oh, Daniel's a madman. He's a this, he's a that. What's that feel like? Yeah, that's that's the saddest that's the saddest thing because a lot of people that go through these experiences um, get labelled with that the stigma yeah. and I felt it from some of my friends and people that know me or people that may have heard that this has happened mm-hmm. or they're unsure about me now they're already thinking ah oh, what's he gonna do you know what I mean or they don't know how to really approach you where really you're struggling you're suffering psychologically and it's not a nice thing because once once that stigma's there you you can be made to believe that you're like that when really deep down if unless you're smart enough to be aware like hold on a minute i know that wasn't me and i'm not on no medication i refuse to be on medication because i understand the effects that it has on you and you become unwell if you on some people need it to survive and get by but I've always had that mental strength where do you know what like I said everything happens for a reason like what doesn't break you makes you in it and I never look at the um I call it a spiritual experience isn't it mm. on the mental um side of things they call it a breakdown mm. so I call it a breakthrough because when I'm having these things I always come back better and stronger and I always have a better understanding of who I am as a person. Like, oh, okay. And I always just not, I don't penny what nobody says. I don't watch, I don't mm. care. I know who I am, innit? Mm. I've always been that character. Yeah. Like, like I said, the most important thing is to be yourself. If, mm. you're, if you're yourself, no matter what nobody says yeah. about you, people will take you for face value. And mm. as long as you're respectful, kind, and gentle with people, that's how they will take you. So mm. the stigma, I, I, I would say, not to allow it to play a role in your life. Just try to ease away from it and do your best you can to get well and stronger. Yeah. And what, so, so you've been sectioned. So what was that, what's that like being in there? So you're in what they take you to a hospital, you're in the hospital. Yeah. I got taken to um, the Morsley hospital. Mm. So yeah, it was mad. I was moving crazy. They injected me like, they came in with all the right, like they put me in a room mm. and then they come in. I'm telling them, come, come in the so room. You're up for so you're like, yeah. Yeah, because I'm in that high level state of mind. Of, yeah. I'm going, I don't know what I'm going through, but right now, I'm I feel whatever. powerful. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is what it is, isn't it? Whatever was happening to yeah. me, which, if you have an understanding of it, sometimes it's, you're out, it's out of your control, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And you're not even aware that this ain't even new. Yeah. You're just thinking it's you because it's all been taken over. I'm saying, 
come, come. So no one's coming in, so I'm thinking, wow, what's going on? And then out of nowhere, they just come in with shields, all blacked out, just come and run and charge me, put me down and just injected me. And then next thing I know, I'm on a ward. So mm. that, that was my first encounter of getting taken off the road and yeah. put into the hospital. So you're in there and you say you're in there for three weeks. Like, so while you're in there for three weeks, are they drugging you up? What's happening? Yeah, yeah, you've got to take, yeah. um, you've got to take, um, it's mandatory to take your tablets. Mm. So I was in there and going through whatever I'm going through, trying to understand it. Like I'm always in the mindset of, nah, forget medication. Like I said, I've been struggling with depression for years, but never been on no meds. Mm. I've always tried to find an avenue or, or um, a way out and to strengthen my character. So I'm like, do you know what? I need to get out of it. So instead of battling that, because I tried to not take the medication yeah. and they're like, yeah, I already know what's happened, didn't it? Yeah. Shields, they're on me, innit? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I said, once I've started refusing, they said, all right, they got onto their turn thing. I was like, all right, cool, let me just take the medication. But I tell you a funny experience, yeah? Once I started to analyze, because remember, I'm in a high level state of mind at this yeah. point where it's I'm I'm no longer feeling not in control. It's kind of, the medication's kind of easing things off now. So as that's happening, I'm kind of now getting back to me, like survival instincts. I've always mm. been a survivor. So I'm in survival mode now. And I'm like, right, how do I get out of here without being dosed up? Yeah. I don't want to be, I've seen people yeah, on meds, yeah. they come out, they're gone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I started getting friendly with one guy that um, just, um, he was an alcoholic, like one white man from, he was from Peckham actually. Yeah. And he was in there. And he was just loving the tablets, isn't it? <laughs> no, like, you know, like they, they, they can't wait where I'm trying to divert hiding toilets. And that, yeah. So I said to myself, how am I going to get these tablets yeah. and not take them? Yeah. So I kind of used a method of, do you know what? I'm going to go to the um, hatch angry. Like, yeah. give me the tablet, isn't it? And I'll just put it in my mouth and I'll just kind of just... Like, open my mouth and yeah. walk off, innit? Yeah. yeah, so one time I took the medication out of my mouth and said to him, you're on these, isn't it? Like, do you want it? <laughs> yeah. So he said to me, yeah. yeah. So I sat down. Remember, I'm on the survival mode. Like, yeah, right, yeah. what are they trying to do to me? Yeah, these yeah, meds? Yeah. So I sat in his room with him, watched him take it. Five minutes. Yeah, so remember, I'm trying to find out what they're trying to do to me, innit? Yeah. Five minutes, he was looking out the window and this is something to laugh about, but it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but the truth. I don't need to lie, yeah, and I yeah. never lie. I don't believe in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's looking out the window. He's like, Daniel, come here. I was like, what? What's going on? He's like, can you see the horse in the skip? Yeah? Sounds mad. But yeah. this is what he's telling me. Yeah. So I'm like, nah, can't see nothing. So I said, all right, cool. Come, come away from the window, innit? Yeah? He sat down, and he just passed out. Yeah? So at that moment, I was like, Yeah, I, I can't need, be on these. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not possible this is going to happen to me. So that's how I kept doing it for three weeks. Yeah. I, a couple of times I had to swallow it. Yeah, you know, the ones that yeah, yeah. kind of like. Busy, just yeah. like watching you. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was some of them that was like, I'll just get him away and he's yeah. come here and, we, you know, like yeah. that kind of. Yeah. Just get out of here, innit? Yeah, yeah. So 
all through, it was the first week I was on them. And then after that, the last two weeks, I was doing what I was saying. I was yeah. giving them to him every day. Yeah, and he's like, just on it. Yeah, he was just out of the game, innit? Like, yeah. But he wanted to be in that position. He was happy to take it. Yeah. So I got released, not cured. So I came out of the hospital. Um, I went in front of a board and... I remember not feeling myself, but I was in survival mode, like, right, just like, compose I need to yourself. get out of here, like, yeah. I just don't want to be on all of this. Yeah, yeah, compose yourself and get out. So I told them what they wanted to hear. I'm not a danger, I understand that I'm not well and I just want to get better, innit? So from that moment, I got released and, yeah, that was in 2009. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, cool. All right, so take us on the journey up until so how we're getting to where we're getting to now. Like yeah, so two. Um, obviously, I'm out. Um, going through. To, um, yeah, how's your mental health? You're out. Obviously, you said you wasn't fully cured or whatnot. So how's your mental health? What do you do? Do you go straight back into work? What's going on for you? No, none, none of that's happening now. So I'm I'm just back to um reality now. Like I'm still very unwell. Like. Really, I'm, I'm around a lot of people. I'm still talking all this spiritual stuff. I'm still, but I'm not, I'm around people that I know and know me yeah. and olders that are trying to look after me and stuff like that and be like, look, just ease off. Like, don't worry about that. that that's irrelevant. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Just stay focused, isn't it? So for, for a while, not even just like days, weeks, it was going on for months. I was just battling every day, like just going through these, whatever I was going through within. And I was like, you know what? This don't make sense. You know, like it's got to the point like you're talking some nonsense. It doesn't make sense. You've just been sectioned. You want to go back there? And I was like, nah. Like, you know, like subconsciously talking to yourself. And I was like, it's long. So I just started to pull myself together. And then that's how I got the job with, um, I applied for a job. I said, you know what? Because like I said, I always bounce back because I know my purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I've got an understanding of my life and what I've been through isn't the norm, like the challenges yeah, that yeah, I've had to yeah, overcome. Some, adversity, yeah. Yeah. And it's, this is yeah, where definitely not, what yeah. we'll speak about later on about my charity organisation, Back On Your Feet. So I'm always in the process of, oh, I need to get back on my feet. I'm down again. I need to get back on yeah, my feet. Yeah, it makes sense. makes yeah? sense. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, do you know what? Scrap all this nonsense, this psychological stuff you're dealing with, this spiritual stuff that you're having to enjoy internally, everything's written. This is a moment in time and you'll overcome it in due course, isn't it? So 2010 is when I um, was head coach of Bethlehem Football Club, Greenhouse. And that was going on for, I think it was about a year, done about yeah. a year of that. And then something happened with the staff, like one of the coaches, me and him ended up getting into something like disagreement. Mm. And um, yeah, they ended up terminating yeah, yeah. my contract. Yeah. 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 And then where'd you go from there? So from there. And all this time when all of this is going on, like you're getting on with life, you're responsible for people, you've got a daughter, yeah. obviously your daughter's getting older. How are you, like, what's happening with your mental health? I'm just trying to um, just get by. Get by progress and just stay focused. Like my daughter, I had her when I was 15, so she's my pride and joy. Like I've got four children and I'm also a granddad as well. Now. Yeah. But I didn't yeah, only, yeah. <laughs> I only had the one um child at the time, which is my daughter Morgan. And 
she was nine at the time when I got sectioned. So obviously I'm like, do you know what this is? I need to keep this good bond with her in it. Like she doesn't need to have, she deserves better. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like from everything, the journey and the journey was to make a future for her in it. So she was, she's always been my strength. And even something I've not mentioned, like when they section you, they diagnose you with something. Mm. So when somebody gets sectioned, they'll diagnose them with bipolar, schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, whatever anxiety, whatever it may be. But with me, they never diagnosed me with nothing. They said it's one, two, three, four, five, six, one of these things, but they couldn't put their finger on it. So mm. what even when I asked them, they're like, we can't say what it is because you're so showing traits of all these mm. things. Yeah. But this is unreal. This is unusual because normally we'll say it's that. Mm. So what they ended up um, diagnosing me with was borderline personality disorder, which is um, switch mode kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it can be up and down. Yeah, yeah. So mental health is just a challenge. Like so many people suffer with mental health, and a lot of people suffer in silence. We, whether it's you're suffering with um, loss of family members, you're suffering with your childhood experiences, you're suffering with your self-esteem. All, there's yeah. many different forms of mental health. It's just how you battle and challenge those issues and and, and problems that you're going through. What's like for all of these things that you go through, what do you think is the perception that some people have of you? Like people that maybe friends or people that know of you or whatever, what do you think the perception is they have of you? Of, as Daniel Vell. they think about you, yeah. Yeah, do you, know, do you know what? Because of the character I am, I've always been a good-hearted person. I'll always help anybody. I'm a, um, I'm a loyal person. Those that have my back, I've got your front and your back. A lot of people that really know me, and especially with what I'm doing now, they've always said, like, you've always been that person. You've just yeah. been, to be honest with you, I've been very lost and very, from growing up, just finding myself, you know that saying, know thyself, innit? Yeah. So it's been a lot of work. And the ones that don't know me or might know the past, whatever I might have got into, um, might have a different eyes oh, a madman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. And what, tell me two good qualities about you. Two good qualities. I'm loyal and I have self-respect. Touch on the self-respect. Self-respect is, uh, I pride myself on how I treat other people and how I treat myself and just what I'm trying to achieve in 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 this world here. Yeah. Like, I, I respect um, what I stand for. I'm not manipulated by anyone's opinion or views of me. And I am um, believing. And that's another thing. Even as a child, my dad, he, where I'm half Maltese and half Scottish, my dad has that Mediterranean family values. And he always brought me up, have morals, have self-respect, respect other people and, and be loyal. Mm. Not just to those that you mm. love and care, be loyal to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so cool. So you're saying um so you've you your contract got terminated at that job. I think that was that 2010, 2011? Yeah, around that time. Alright, so what happens for the next no, so what happens? Uh, so at, at that point, 
the sports side of things um, comes comes to an end. And now I'm obviously I've um, parted ways with the positive aspect where I'm like, you know what, I'm trying so hard and I'm always getting the door shut on me. So I said, you know what, let me just open the door for myself and try to make something. And I've tried to do the working thing, yeah? Really yeah, it worked for like a week, two weeks, a month, maybe. And I'm not, I'm, it's just not, it's just not me. I like to try to um, create, be, um, be self-sufficient with what I do and try to live by my own rules, if that makes sense. Mm. So the working thing, um, especially working and I'm not happy, that's not something that mm. I aspire to do is be unhappy in whatever I'm doing. So I left that and then started to go down the road of um, selling drugs and things like that. So you're on the roads now, you're shot yeah. in, you're doing that. How's that working for you? Like, and what's going on for you, like, for you, like, family-wise and all of that sort of stuff doing that? Yeah, and bear, bearing in mind, I've never... Remember, I've come from the life of being a footballer, and so yeah. I'm in my 20s now, innit? So this is all late and, and new to me. I've always been around it or yeah. known people, friends, and whatever. That's their prerogative, whatever they want to do. But it's never been something because I've had that um, that goal of becoming a footballer, innit? So, yeah, that just um, ended up happening. Like, I've always... My brother died of sniffing fire extinguisher gas, which is a, is a chemical and it's a form of drug at that yeah. sort of level, innit? So I've always known that um, this is not something that... Because of the purpose and what I believe in myself and helping other people is... Um, and we'll go on to that as well, losing family members to drugs. It's not something that... I've ever aspired to be, I want to be some big drug dealer or I want to... It was just the fact of, you know what, I need to get money. So that, at that time, having no qualifications apart from sports, which kind of I've moved away from, um, then I stopped always having this conscious feeling and a, a belief system of, do you know what, this ain't you, Daniel. Like, you know this ain't you. You know, like when you're having that yeah. deeper yeah. conversation with yourself... And, yeah, I'll stop and then I'll get back into doing something positive, trying to be creative and contacting um, youth clubs and stuff like that. Or maybe do a few months working, then jump back onto the roads. And it was always that for a, num for yeah, a number of years. In and out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was always something I knew I didn't want to be in because I know the effects of it. And, mm. yeah, that's kind of what it was up until... So 2011, yeah, all all the way, all the way up, just in and out, in and out. Not really, not really accomplishing nothing, just surviving. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And what's it like in terms? Because obviously you said your mum was drinking and whatnot. What was happening like with, like your, your parents and whatnot? Like, yeah. So, um, at what what year? What? No, just like throughout that time when you're shot in. And yeah. Whatnot. So. I, Whilst I'm now into my twenties and now come out of jail, my mum she's knocked the head, um, the drink on the head, so mm. she's recovered. She's she no longer drinks. Mm. She's pulled herself together. Yeah, always had a close relationship with my mum. My dad um, was always <coughs> in and out of the household and stuff mm. like that, coming back, taking care of 
things. And I'm an adult now. I've got my own place. Yeah. From, I come out of jail anyway. So yeah. I'm just living my life. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what made you get to, when we talk about back on your feet, when you get to, how did you get to that point where you started back on your feet? What like, propelled you to get into yeah. that? Before we get on to back on your feet, like through the years of um, the transition from mm. the in and out of the road life, um, I had another two children. Mm, so yeah, yeah. In two thousand, you mentioned you got four kids, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's all. There's always there's always been a purpose for me yeah. to do the right thing. So my son was born in two thousand and thirteen. His name's Jack. So Jack was born in two thousand and thirteen, and then my daughter was born two thousand and fifteen. So I moved out of London to mm. Sheffield. Okay. So yeah, that's where my family was. Yeah. So. That's where the mum was. And from. how was that? How was that being up there? Yeah, it was all right. You know, it was. Um, it was at this time, um, two thousand and eight. This is where the um, see, there's so much different events. Yeah. My dad was diagnosed with, um, and my dad is like somebody. God rest his soul. I hold him close to my heart. He was a big figure in my life, and he got diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's, so. <clears throat> My sister become his carer, okay, yeah. and I was just supporting her whenever I could. Like so, I was always back and forth from Sheffield yeah. to help out, have him over, stay at my house, and then yeah, he had Alzheimer's for ten years. So you know, like you're a product of your environment. When you know something, or you're you're surrounded by, or secluded, should I say, in a mindset or a mm. lifestyle, what what you bring into your future life and your relationship, you'll imitate what you've been through. So where I didn't grow up with that bubble of love and I'm a good person, I've yeah, got a yeah, good yeah. heart, but you're but not showing yeah. it and keeping a solid foundation to raise your kids. I was kind of supporting my dad because he was the biggest supporter in my life and I was always back and forth. So my relationship with my kid's mum ended up breaking down. So mm. then we broke up um, in 2016, 2016. Mm. So then it was back, um, just living the same the same life, living on benefits and things like that, just trying to, how am I going to progress? Then back on the roads and stuff like that. Mm. And then my sister got unwell again. And she couldn't, she looked after my dad for 10 years. Yeah, but she couldn't keep So I then became full-time carer of my dad. So whilst I was doing what I was doing on the roads and that, I quit everything. And I said, you know what, I'll take my dad in and he come to live with me. So you just stopped? You just just stopped. Forget all of this? Yeah, yeah, my dad's more important. And was you making money at that time when you were doing it? Yeah, yeah, not... Yeah, making enough money, isn't it? Yeah. Like not no crazy yeah, yeah. kingpin money, yeah, but yeah, just yeah, yeah. But some it, good yeah. survival, yeah, 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 survival money yeah. to just live live all right, isn't it? Yeah. If I want to buy, eat, whatever, yeah, go on yeah. holiday, I can yeah. afford to do yeah. kind of. Yeah, okay. not, and now I'm not glorifying that one. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So I had I took my dad um, in with you know me. No, what Dan? Sorry to cut you, mate. What what's really apparent is. Seems that throughout your life, there's been points when you've always been responsible for people, but yeah. no one's really been responsible for you. Yeah. Like, even when you're angry and you're fighting, you're giving your all to everything. But yeah. it's like, 
that's not being reciprocated back. Yeah, I'm yeah. not saying, obviously, you said you had a good relationship with your parents, but it feels like when I'm listening to you that it's always you giving, yeah. even with the work you do today. But then yeah, yeah. there's no like care coming back for you. Someone saying, all right, let me look after you. No, let me definitely. make sure you're all right. Let me... Let me give you some food. Let me do this for you. you know, yeah, you're yeah. right. But do you know what? Somebody that I've not mentioned is my big sister. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. my mum going through what she's going through, her struggles and stuff like that. My sister really played the role. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And she's always been there. She's been my biggest, biggest supporter, like, mm-hmm. in jail, throughout any struggles I've been through. So, in that sense, my sister... Yes been the person yeah been she's always and my uh, my mum and yeah. like I said it's never been that relationship where it's you know some yeah, people it's not the hugs every day yeah and all that. it's yeah, none yeah. of that yeah, but yeah. we knew we but loved, the love's there yeah yeah the love's there and we knew yeah. that it's just we didn't understand what was really going on mm-hmm. on deep within the family in it so yeah yeah my sister even with my child and stuff like that um obviously I'm young at that time. I don't want to bring her around anything that could mm. mentally affect her. So I was always taking my daughter to stay at my sister's. I didn't have a flat or nothing at this time. So she was a big, big impact and big provider in my life and my daughter, who we have a lot of, lot of respect for, mm-hmm. a lot of love. Yeah. Okay. But on that note, what you're saying, it, that's how it's always been. I've always been a giver, isn't it? Like if, if you, you phone me and like, then like, I'm struggling, you know, like seriously, mm-hmm. and I've got 50 quid, I might just give you the 50 quid and yeah. leave myself broke. Yeah. Like, that's the sort of person I am, yeah. you know, like, believe it or not, yeah. it, it, it's, it's the facts. Like, yeah. if somebody, friends, I've got nowhere to live, come sleep on my couch. Like, I'm, I'm one of those ones. Yeah. But, and it, it is hard sometimes because when you, like you say, it's not getting reciprocated. The love and um, you can not feel valued enough, innit? Yeah, you don't feel yeah. appreciated. And especially with the work I'm doing now, I've I've felt more love from these homeless guys than I have probably in my entire life. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so you were saying, um, so you became a full-time carer for your dad? Yeah, in 2000 and 2000, my dad came to live with me in 2019. Okay. And he... He passed away in February 2020. So at this at this point, um, good couple of years, I had a consistent line. So, yeah, before we move on to the process um, of my dad, um, I'm cool now. I'm not really in and out. I'm just sticking to the one thing. I'm like, you're lost, you're confused. Just either stick to the one thing or don't do nothing. So I stuck to this, what I was doing, and... It was going all right. I was making half decent money. Wait, sorry, because I think like, that that bit got a bit confused. So you've got your dad, but you're, you're, you're moving. No, no, before I've got my, my dad. dad yeah, you're yeah, right, cool. um, so I'm in and out of the roads. But at this point, 2016, so yeah. I, I got a, um, a placement, a shop in Peckham, so mm. where I was selling clothes. And then because um, I was in and out, and I always knew that I didn't want to do this. I set up um, online stores selling clothes. So I invested some money in some clothes and I was doing that. And then I left the shop and then I was just on the roads just doing my thing and whatnot. And it was 2018. 
um, I'm making half decent money, like on a day-to-day basis. Um, I just kept having this overwhelming feeling every time I was out going to bus a shot or link someone and they was, um, whether it be a female or male, I always, every time I left them, I kept feeling like, this is wrong. Like what you're doing is wrong. You could be taking their last hundred pound, their last 50 quid, like this, they got kids. So I kept having this feeling, this internal feeling, like, like a message was being sent to me every day for about a couple of weeks. And I woke up one day and I just got the phone, took the SIM card out, snapped it and threw it in the drain. And that was 2018 and I've never looked back. I made the transition from that to then 2019. Being a full-time, full-time care of my dad. And he lived with me for one year. So, and then he went back to my sister's because it was getting a bit difficult for me after that one year because my daughter then was, was with me. and. Mm. Yeah, so um, it was a, it was a the best thing that I've ever done. Yeah, was making that transition to understand who I am and all this in and out. You know, it's not for you. And yeah, I've never looked back since, which is three years now. Yeah. Okay. So how? So obviously, it must have affected your mental health once again. That like looking after your dad, your dad being in that um, in that state, being yeah. ill and whatnot. So how did you get from? that stage to starting back on your feet. What was it that triggered that? So... So and you said your dad died in... I took my dad back in... Um, I had my dad for a year and I took him back 2009 in Christmas time. Um, because at this time I can't even visit my children now because I've, I've got my dad, so I'm his full-time carer. Mm. There is no disrespect to anybody that was part of my family at that moment, I wasn't getting the support that I needed mm-hmm. um, to be able to go and visit my children. So I said, you know what? I love my dad and I'll always be there for him, but at some point I need to bring my children first. Yeah. So I took my dad back to my sisters and tried to rebuild the relationship with um, my kids' mum and she was upset that I'm not visiting. Yeah, of like course. That. So my dad then passed away um, in 2020, February. And yeah, that was um, another pinnacle moment in the mental health and having a, I don't like to call it a breakdown. I like to call it a breakthrough. That was the moment that I had a breakthrough and ended up being sectioned again. So I got sectioned in June. And where was your mum at this point? My mum's still my mum's still about, yeah. but at this point, my mum, sorry, I forgot to mention, um, my mum's been diagnosed with terminal cancer mm. in 2000 and, yeah, 2020, I think, just before um, my dad, or 2019, one of, one of the two, I can't really remember the date. But yeah, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer throat cancer, one thing after another. I've always said, like, when am I going to get that chance? When am I going to just have that smooth run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get myself to a point. Up and down and turmoil and adversity. Yeah. And, yeah. But, like I believe, God will only give his strongest, his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I believe that, not just talking out of context, I've been through so much that I'm still here standing, still strong, 
still trying to do the right thing in life. So yeah, um, unfortunately, I had another spiritual experience, which was out of my control again. Something I didn't understand. Is this what you're telling me when you said about the police? Or yeah, yeah. The, um, the pressure of losing my dad, the pressure of life, the experiences, not having an understanding of my emotions and my feelings. Um, I ended up having them, um, without going in too deep, because some people might not understand, but I'll just put it down to a spiritual experience and I was not being myself again. And I was, um, I found myself in an unfamiliar place, which was out of my control because I didn't have the knowledge and the education behind what was happening to me. So I ended up getting sectioned um, on the road in Broccoli. So for a good couple of days, I'm on this vibe, on this energy. And um, yeah, the police got called. And same thing, like what happened in the hospital. I'm like, don't come near me, innit? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that, don't, I don't care police or no police. I'm in that mind frame, innit? Like, moving like I'm Superman, innit? Mm -hmm. like, so they just backed out the tasers and violated their, what they should be doing. And something that I'm actually looking into since I spoke to you, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they tasered me a number of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I fell, smashed my face on the floor. That's how I've got these missing teeth here. Well, how many teeth you got missing? I think about four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's really knocked my self-esteem and it took me a long time to be able to come on the podcast. Yeah. But I'm in the stage now where I don't care about all that. I know yeah. my purposes yeah. and what I'm doing, my message, so. Yeah, one of them yeah. straight. So you go, you get sectioned again. And what's the experience like this time when you're being sectioned? When you've been sectioned? This time is another level. Like, it's, it's another level that like I'm putting to two different hospitals. Yeah, it's it's a mad one. It's yeah. a mad, I'm not going to go too much into it yeah, because yeah. the story is just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, there's going to be a part two. <laughs> like, I think we're going to have to do a part two, definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. but, yeah, the story is nuts. And, um, yeah, they sectioned me for six weeks this time. Like, um, they had me on 15 medication. And this wasn't the fact now where I can... Um, yeah, there's no, that keys is not there. You can't that, just, yeah, it, it's not that. This is the time that if you don't, we're checking everything, making sure it's all swallowed. So I'm like, no, this is, this is, I'm here again now. But still always trying to be aware of my progress of getting back to me, innit? So yeah, I was on 15 medications. Like, no joke, of 15 tablets and a syrup, yeah? So, got into a couple of issues in the hospital with a couple of people. But then, because of the character I am, I'm always trying to, whether I'm in this state of mind or I'm in this state of mind, I'm always trying to be nice. And I was buying people takeaways and, you know, like the ones that didn't have no support. Or, or um, you couldn't get visits anyway because it was during the lockdown and all that, innit? But, um, yeah, I was buying people takeaways because you can order takeaways. And so I built a good relationship, even with the, in the end, with the staff and mm. things like that. They was like, come on, Daniel, just stay focused, get it together. But, yeah, I was in there. For, I went, after three weeks, they refused me. They said, no, nah, he's not well enough. And then the next three weeks, I just put my head down. I said, you know what? Stop wiling out of here. Relax. Don't talk to no one. Just keep yourself to yourself then. You know they're not noting every move you make. 
so yeah, I ended up getting out um, six weeks later and I've never looked back. I've never been, and I remember my mum suffering with cancer at this time. I'm putting their Father's Day, my dad's dad, so I can't even visit his grave. I've got my children, my daughter's pregnant with my granddaughter. So I'm going through a lot. Like, mm. So my mission is always is like, get out of here and get back to Daniel Veller in it, like the person you know you can be in it. Forget all of this. And yeah, I come out and they kept phoning me saying, you need to come and do aftercare treatment. And I've never dealt with none of them. I've never been back to the hospital to see a doctor. I've never been on any medication. I was still going through the effects of it because after six weeks, 15 medication and syrup, it's like drugs, isn't it? Like you yeah. now got to go yeah. through the stages of weaning off of this stuff, isn't it? And yeah, I just went through all that just still dealing with the psychological warfare, the spiritual warfare, but overcome it. And three months later, another thing happened to me where I was like, Do you know what? You've been trying to help people in need forever, isn't it? That's been your thing always, school, no matter if, like, even if I see like people bullying people, I was like, I'm not on all that. I don't like that sort of stuff, mm. innit? And I've always been someone to try and step in and help somebody, no matter what it may be. So that's been a big thing I've always wanted to do. And I said to myself um, in October, I broke up with my youngest son's mum. And I said, you know what? I want to give back now. I was, I've understood who I am. I understand the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, the tests. And now I want to give back to humanity and be a be the best version of myself and be better than I've ever been. So before the, after the hospital, um, no, before the hospital, I went for a, I took, um, I got a thousand pound changed in the bank to five pound notes. And I give them, I walked around the streets, giving five pound each up. That was just my mission, five to any vulnerable person I see. And I remember my friend saying to me, oh, what, you're on this vibe again? As if to say, as if to say, oh, you're going down this road again. But I already knew because of losing five family members to homelessness, drugs, mental health, and my cousin died at 27. This is why I ended up setting up the charity back on your feet to um, help homeless, vulnerable people. So, yeah, that's that's what I did. October, three months out of being out of the hospital, I said, boom. Just went on the road. I had £10 to my name. I All the money that I had that was dirty money in my eyes that I didn't even want in my possession, cleaned my who I am, cleaned my soul, my heart and my mind. And I said, you know what? I had £10 left in my name. And I went, in, I went to Lidl's in Bermondsey. I was at my mum's. And I told her this idea that I wanted to do. And she said to me, um, if this is what you believe in and this is what your heart's in, go for it. So went to Lidl's and bought chicken, mince and vegetables. And I made 15 food boxes and I hit the road. I went to Shoreditch, New Cross, Peckham. Um, yeah, Shoreditch, New Cross and Peckham. And I just distributed the food. Mm. Yeah, so. so back on your feet. So tell us about back on your feet. So we understand the transition for you getting there. What is back on your feet? Yeah. So I'm the founder of Back On Your Feet. Um, it's based around helping homeless, vulnerable people in need. 
people that's going through a difficult time, whether you're homeless or not. So I go around the streets seven days a week um, for the last eight months since October. And um, yeah, so I've done many different initiatives like, and I go around North London, South East and West London. So I've done projects where I give out food boxes. Um, I've done winter warmer packs, sleeping bags, socks, gloves, and I've done gift card initiative where I'll put £3 on a Sainsbury's or Tesco's gift card and then I'll go out giving them. So if they're ever hungry, they can yeah. just go and get a meal deal, like a sandwich, crisp and a drink. I've done a haircut project initiative. I've done a hotel initiative where I've paid for them to come off the streets. I see you do that last week. Like, I think, was it literally last week? Yeah, yeah. And you're putting someone in the hotel. Like, yeah. And then what are this? All homeless people, vulnerable people? All, all homeless people, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's on the verge of... Because I can't put everybody in the hotel. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But the ones that I can see, they're really struggling. Like, I've put... I've put um, probably... Because I'm using my own funds and I've got a GoFundMe page. So I've got no government backing, no government grants, zero. So I can't do too, too much. Yeah, but, but I've put over 10 people in hotels within eight months and yeah. I've singly handed, I've provided support and food and stuff to over 2,500 people just on my own. And yeah, so I've done hotel projects, putting them in for one, two, five days, and then doing referrals for them to Streetlink to get them into a hostel. Um, one of the Polish guys that I've put into a hotel I've got him into a hostel and then he got into work. He was on the streets for um, five months. And yeah, but a lady that was, um, somebody kept coming along and trying to get in her sleeping bag. And she told me what was going on. She showed me all the self-harming. And I booked her into a hotel for five days. And now she's now got a property. Oh, amazing. So, So what so like obviously you were saying about the journey and that's what's made you do that but was it like because it seemed like well i know anyway but it's just like literally just you by yourself doing this yeah yeah i tried to build a team like my daughter's part of my team and her partner but she's got a child yeah yeah. so she still goes and does outreaches when she goes shopping she'll take food and she's been out with me a few times i built a team with my friend Dwayne and tasha but they work and they've got other commitments so they can't be as active yeah um yeah, so I'm on my own, basically. And you're doing what you're out there every day? Every day. Yeah. Every day, seven and, days a week. And, like, for you, how does this help? Uh, two questions. How does it help and how does it, maybe not so much help, but it's in, how does it hinder? So how does it help and how does it hinder your mental health, like, in terms of the work you're doing? Do you know what? My mum just passed away in January, um, the 2nd of January this year. So... This is kind of keeping me focused. It's keeping me wanting to make her proud, um, my dad proud, and myself proud as well. And what I'm doing isn't just my work, it's God's work. Those that look after the vulnerable, the orphans, the people that are homeless, struggling, this this is coming from somebody somewhere else. And this is, this what I'm putting out there is for the, not for that fact of, being blessed and rewarded. Getting in good deeds. And getting good the, deeds. Yeah. It's not just for that. But when you you do good, you receive this naturally three times. No, so we do that for the blessings of both people. So the ones that are receiving the help, 
they get him blessed, and also I'm getting blessed at the same time. And these guys have been. I'll, I'll give you an example. If I'm going through a difficult time, which I on a day-to-day basis, I'm I've just I'm grieving my mum and dad. I lost both of them within eleven months, so I could be feeling sad. I could be feeling like I want to cry, or I could even be crying. It's one of those options. You know what I mean? So I'll be like, nah, go out there, do what you believe is your purpose and give back to those that are less fortunate. Put a smile on their face and not for making myself feel better, but the response I get from them makes me feel naturally blessed and I go home in a whole different mindset. And I fill them with me. You know, mm. like, mm. I f- my parents, they passed, my brother, they passed. I've had, I've got many family members that have died and when i'm on this mission on this journey i feel i don't feel alone like people say to me how can you do this one up like you're just going every area north south east west you've even gone and done an outreach in derby leicester sheffield and one up like what's yeah i'm like i don't feel alone in it yeah. i've been alone in it yeah. i don't feel alone i'm and plus i'm building a family with these guys in the sense of if they don't see me for instance, I see a girl, Louise, last week, and she was like, oh, um, her partner was like, where's Dan? We haven't seen him. Like, because they know the story with my mum, because I tell them about my life or my experiences, and then they open up as well. And they was like, we was really worried about you, where we haven't seen you, innit? So, yeah, it's reciprocated both ways, innit? It seems like one of the things that, I, um, that seems apparent is always been about you building a community, building a family, do you yeah. know what I mean? Through like the adversity you had from when you were younger. Um, but yeah, like to be honest, I'm just taken aback. Your story's amazing. Like, So one of the last questions I want to ask you, what advice would you give to the younger you or to young people? Yeah, I would say just whatever you're going through, capture the moment. Don't let it overwhelm you and feel like you're not able to control a situation if you're going through a difficult time, just believe in yourself, have that faith, whatever it may be. Some people are religious, some people are not. But as long as you've got that faith and belief in yourself to overcome any adversary that you're going through, any struggles, and most importantly, be a good human being. Be kind and be generous, compassionate, and show love, not just to yourself to other people that you may love and care about and strangers as well because it goes it goes a long way like treat people the way you want to be treated if you're going through a difficult time speak out speak to somebody don't suffer in silence because we're all going through i don't care who it is there might be a moment a second a day a month or a year somebody goes through some sort of struggles and trauma that they can't deal with Mm. but this is why suicide is on the rise, especially with the pandemic, because everybody's suffering in silence. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But especially for the young people, just get to know yourself a bit earlier. Don't mm. be like myself, what I've had to go through, being confused, lost, not understanding why I'm going through what I'm going through. And just keep persevering. No matter, no matter what you're faced with, Always believe that this path is written for you. This journey, every step you take, everybody you meet in your life, 
are there for a reason and a purpose. And if you're surrounding yourself around a negative situation or negative people that ain't got your best interest at heart, pull yourself away from them and find a new avenue. And most importantly, which I say is the most important thing, is be yourself. There's nothing more empowering than being yourself and yeah, not having being, to fake the fuck. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, just be genuine and be true to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been amazing yeah. talking to you. And I know there's, because I know you in this, I know there's so much more yeah, yeah. little bits, so I think we're going to do a part two. But um, for you, like, back on your feet, because I feel like like it's amazing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, like, go on your Instagram. So what if people want to know where you are and how to find out about your initiative, your organisation, and how they can support that organisation? Because like you say, you're literally a one-man band. Yeah. How, how can they do that? What platforms can they get you yeah, on? Yeah, so... Currently, I'm just on um, Instagram, which is at Back On Your Feet, feet spelled F-E-A-T. Um, I've got a GoFundMe page on the link yeah, in my bio. Yeah. We'll, get that all up. we'll get that all up on the screen anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a TikTok account as yeah. well, um, which has got a link in the bio. Yeah. So any support is welcome. Like, yeah. We're all here to try and help make a difference. And if, if you can't, do it yourself personally and you want to pay that forward, then if you would like to pay it forward to me to do the act, you yeah. can see everything that I do. You see where your funds go, yeah. how the money's used, because I document and log everything on Instagram to raise awareness to the work I'm doing. Well, absolutely, yeah. pleasure, Dan. No. Nice. Love my mum. Thank sweet, you for sweet, having sweet, me. Sweet. Yeah. Cool.